That is the song Mermaiden, and it's from the band The Mighty Surf Lords. It appears on their album In the Tide Rushes In. Now, you can find out more about The Mighty Surf Lords at their website at MightySurfLords.com, or you can follow the link in the show notes over at MonsterKidRadio.net, the website for Monster Kid Radio, the podcast celebrating the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your host, Derek M. Cook, and I want to welcome you to this week's episodes. We had to kind of change our plans a little bit. I got really sick over the weekend. In fact, I'm still recovering. But what that means is that I did not get to go to Wizard World Portland as planned, which means I didn't get to run around the convention floor with my recorder to record anything for this week's episodes. Now, I reached out to former guests of Monster Kid Radio and one guy that I plan to have on the show in the near future to talk about, Ed Wood, to see if they had anything that they'd like to contribute to the show this week. And you know what? These former guests are hooking us up. So this episode specifically is going to be kind of like a guest contribution episode. I hope you enjoy what we have and what they have to say. We're going to get to all that here in a moment. Let me go ahead and run through the business over at our website, monsterkidradio.net. You can find links to everything that we do when we're not producing the podcast. We have the YouTube channel. We have the Live 365 page. We have the Flickr album. We have the Facebook group. You can find a link over there to get into the Facebook group and get involved in conversations with fellow listeners between episodes or even while you're listening if you want. Really, I not the boss. You can do whatever you want, including sending us a voicemail at 503-479-5MKR. That's 503-479-5657. Or you can drop us an email at monsterkidradio at gmail.com. Now, before we get into any of the guest contributions, I actually have a piece of feedback that I want to address as well. And we're going to get to that right after this. Do you enjoy movies like Carnival of Souls, The Mole People, Black Sunday, and The Tingler? Do you find yourself late at night reading magazines such as Film Max, Chiller Theater, or Monster Bash? Do you love vintage television programs like Sky King, Outer Limits, and The Time Tunnel? Do you find yourself surfing the net looking for the next monster movie festival or expo? Do you enjoy hearing anecdotes, cinematic details, and unusual insights into some of your favorite movies? If you answered yes to any of the above, you are encouraged to join your host, Vince Rotolo, as he examines some of the latest horror, sci-fi, and cult theatrical releases, new DVDs to add to your collection, and of course, the old classics, both good and bad. He even interviews people throughout B-Moviedom. So tune into B-MovieCast at bmoviecast.com. Hey, Derek. This is Rick Myers from the Recovering Uber Geek blog. A movie that you haven't covered that I enjoy, even though it's traditionally not a true monster film, it's more of a comedy is Mad Monster Party by Rankin Bass uh, with its stop motion animation and Boris Karloff and Phyllis Diller. Hope to see you at the next Monster Kid Radio Crash and you have a good day. So Rick's website is The Recovering Uber Geek. It's his blog. You can find it over at rd. Myers, that's R-D-M-Y-E-R-S 97115.blogspot.com. Again, there will be a link in the show notes to go find it for yourself. 
I've met Rick in person. He's gone to a couple of Monster Kid Radio crashes in the past. I met him at Wonder Northwest when we first launched the show last year. He's a good guy. He's a good friend. And you know what? Mad Monster Party. Let's talk about it. Those of you who have been following me podcasting-wise before Monster Kid Radio know that I produced a little zombie show called Mail Order Zombie. Now, over the course of that five-year run, I reviewed over 400 zombie movies, and because Mad Monster Party actually had zombies in it, I reviewed it over on that show. When I reviewed it, I'm going to be honest, I was a little lukewarm to it. Now, I had come to Mad Monster Party not really knowing what to expect outside of the Rankin-Bass style of animation. I did not see it during its original run, for some obvious reasons, I think. And Every time that I saw it on VHS in a video store somewhere, if I even remember seeing it, I might be confusing it with something else. I just never picked it up. It never really grabbed me at the time. So I was excited to sit down to watch it on disc. And while I liked the fact that there were monsters walking around with that kind of animation that Rankin Bass is known for, with the one-liners and the witty writing, I thought that was cool. What I struggled with were the songs. I felt they were kind of obtrusive at times and not really well fit, well placed within the overall story. At the time, I reviewed it slightly lower than I probably would if I reviewed it today here on Monster Kid Radio, because in terms of zombie content, there's not really a lot. In fact, there's just a little tiny bit. Now, looking at it as a Monster Kid, I don't care if it's not a scary movie or not, this is a monster movie. I mean, you've got all the big guns, Dracula, Frankenstein's monster, the Wolfman, the creature from the Black Lagoon, King Kong, that they can't really call Kong. They have to call it it. I'm assuming it's for copyright or trademark purposes. I mean, you've got all the big guns here. It's a fun movie. And now I am proud to say that I own it on Blu-ray. I've watched it since. I think it's a great, fun film that all monster kids can enjoy. Again, you can find a link to Rick's The Recovering Uber Geek blog over at our website at monsterkidradio.net. Rick, thank you for calling in and dropping us a line. He used that voicemail line. Again, that was 503-479-5657. Okay. Now, like I said, I had some contributions come in from former guests of Monster Kid Radio. We're going to go ahead and start with Joe Stuber from Comic Book Central and the Further Adventures of Indiana Jones. On the IndieCast, Joe has been on the show a couple of times to talk about the Abbott and Costello Meet movies. So far, we've talked about Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein and Abbott and Costello Meet the Killer Boris Karloff. He's got a preview of what we're going to talk about next. Hey, Derek, sorry you're a bit under the weather, but hopefully Monster Kid Nation can take the helm while you're in the sick bay this week. For my part, how's about I give the listeners a preview of our next discussion of an Abbott and Costello monster flick? The next one in the series is going to be Abbott and Costello Meet the Invisible Man. And guess what? This time, we don't have to remember their character names. They're going by Bud and Lou. Now, The Invisible Man, which is based on the H.G. Wells novel, of course, was a pretty big part of the Universal Pictures history. And the concept is really more sci-fi than anything, but elements are definitely in the monster horror genre. In fact, as listeners will recall, we discussed that this isn't the first time Abbott and Costello crossed paths with The Invisible Man. Go back and check out our breakdown of Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein back on Monster Kid Radio, episodes 15 and 16. We talked about a little surprise at the end of that film, a voice cameo by Vincent Price as the Invisible Man. Now, of course, Vincent was the title character in The Invisible Man Returns, and there were several other Invisible movies at Universal. So having the boys meet up with an Invisible Man again, this time for a full feature, 
It was kind of a no-brainer based on the success of Meet Frankenstein and Meet the Killer Boris Karloff. Now, it might be a good idea for listeners to check out this flick before we discuss it. It's much more fun to relive the adventure instead of having us spoil it. We've talked about several ways to see it. First, there's my personal favorite, Get the Abbott and Costello Collections. Uh, There's a couple of them. Uh, One is The Best of Abbott and Costello, and it's on Volume 3. And with that set, you get Frankenstein, Boris Karloff, The Invisible Man, and more. Or, the other collection, get the Abbott and Costello Complete Universal Pictures Collection. You can also download the movie on Amazon, or I've even seen it posted on Dailymotion.com in two parts. But trust me, it's better to own all the flicks. They're all great. Abbott and Costello Meet the Invisible Man is a fun ride. You've got the boys doing their thing. You've got the eerie music from Meet Frankenstein. You've got terrific special effects that even rival the original Invisible Man movie. And speaking of that original Invisible Man movie, sharp-eyed viewers might catch an in-joke during Abbott and Costello Meet the Invisible Man. It's in the scene shot in the laboratory near the beginning of the film. If you catch it, Make sure you write in to Derek, and we'll see how many of you spot it. We'll mention that during our conversation. From 1951, it's Abbott and Costello Meet the Invisible Man, and it's coming soon to Monster Kid Radio. Get well, Derek. Can't wait to talk about Abbott and Costello again. All right, how cool was that? Now, Joe, solid guy. I can't wait to have him back on the show. And tell you what, I'm going to make this promise in front of the world, or at least the Monster Kid Radio listeners. Joe, we're not going to wait as long to get you back on the show between Abbott and Costello movies. I mean, we waited way too long to get you on between Meet Frankenstein and Meet the Killer Boris Karloff. I'm excited to get into Meet the Invisible Man. I don't think this is one that I've seen, so it'll be a first-time viewing for me. And even though I'm sick, I'm looking forward to the homework that he gave all of us first-time viewers to see if we can catch that Invisible Man in joke. That's going to be a fun film, man. I'm excited to get into the rest of the Abbott and Costello films. You know, Rick made a comment in his voicemail as well about how Mad Marcel Party isn't a horror movie. And honestly, while our tagline is always the classic and not-so-classic genre movies or monster movies of yesteryear, a lot of these movies, they're not scary, but they still feature monsters and they were originally targeted toward fans of these kinds of films heck i wouldn't mind getting into some of the movies the spooky movies and i just did air quotes for everybody who happens to be watching me right now the spooky movies featuring people like bob hope i mean i would love to get into some of these movies i know bella ghost he did some uh, low budget poverty row type films with some comedy actors yeah i'd love to talk about some of these movies here on future episodes of monster kid radio but tell you what joe we're going to get into abbott and costello meet the invisible man here soon as soon as this episode goes out i'll drop you a line and we'll start talking scheduling head over to monsterkidradio.net and go through the archives over on the left there's a breakdown of what we've done by month you can see where we did the abbott and costello films episodes number 63 and 64 or Meet the Killer Boris Karloff. And then as he mentioned, episodes 15 and 16 were Meet Frankenstein. Somebody else that we've had on the show quite a bit in the past is Rich Chamberlain, also known as Richard from Wichita in certain podcasting circles. He's also the man behind the website Monster Movie Kid over at monstermoviekid.wordpress.com. Again, there will be a link in the show notes. Anyway, he called in about, actually, I'll let him tell you. Hey, Derek, this is Richard from Wichita. And just wanted to comment real quick on something that I think a lot of us Monster Kid fans, I think we take for granted, um, and that's the Mill Creek collections. 
And I know that there's a lot of new monster movie kids out there. There's a lot of fans who are just getting into the genre, and they hear about the Mill Creek collections. They get all these preconceived notions, these films, and they're steering clear of, of some really good Mill Creek sets out there. And I think that um, even in, in some cases they're thinking, well, you know what, I'll wait for the high-def Blu-ray to come out. The fact of the matter is there's a lot of good movies to be found on these Mill Creek collections. And if you, for whatever reason, have been avoiding some of these Mill Creek sets, you really need to take a step back and, and look at the big picture. You're going to get about 50 movies. Most of these sets are about 50 movies. And you're going to pay as little as maybe $10 for the set. Come on. That, that's a no-brainer. You're paying practically pennies for some of these movies. And there's a lot of, of doorways that will be opened. If you, if you purchase a Mill Creek set, there's a lot of different things in there. There's going to be a lot of crap. Some movies certainly could use a remastering. The fact of the matter is most won't. Um, I've, I've read where some fans are waiting for these. Some, there's some Blu-ray sets that are coming out now, like 20 movies to, to one Blu-ray, and it's like $10, and it's a horrible buy because if you read the reviews on it, um, they're cramming all of these movies on one Blu-ray. There's a tremendous amount of artifacting. They're under the impression that these are high-def remasters, and in fact, they're not. What we're getting from Mill Creek in most of these cases is the best we're going to get on some of these films. Um, there's not going to be the time taken to remaster them. These movies simply don't have a high-def remaster available. Um, take the time. Check out these Mill Creek sets. It'll open doorways to, like, Alfred Hitchcock, Sherlock Holmes, Gamera, what have you. For $10, you can't go wrong. I highly recommend. There's a lot of different sets out there. Take the time. Check it out. And then if you enjoy what you see, you can then go ahead and do some shopping and spend money on some of the bigger, more expensive sets with some of the different genres. Take care, and we'll talk to you soon. I agree wholeheartedly. I think Mill Creek has done a wonderful job of taking a number of public domain films and making them easily accessible to people to have in their homes as physical media. Now, a lot of these movies you can find online on YouTube or archive.org or, you know, maybe on Roku or you can stream off of Amazon. But if you got to have the disc, you can pick it up from Mill Creek. It's pretty cheap. And let's be completely honest. A lot of these movies, they might get a little bit of benefit from upconverting to Blu-ray, but not enough to really warrant, I think, double-dipping to get a lot of these movies on Blu-ray, because, I mean, really, do you have to have to get some of these movies on Blu-ray? I mean, you're not going to get a noticeable improvement in quality unless they've actually gone in and remastered the film. You know, for example, White Zombie is a public domain film. It turns up on a lot of public domain collections by Mill Creek and other companies. However, it's also been released on Blu-ray last year, and it's going to be released on Blu-ray again this year by a different company. And in both cases, they've gone back to, well, an older negative that's not been beat up nearly as much and tried to remaster the film as cleanly as possible. In that case, yeah, I'd recommend maybe getting a Blu-ray collection of some of these B-movies, these monster movies, some of these lower-tier or maybe even budget-row-type monster movies. 
But for bang for your buck, Mill Creek is hard to beat. Now, Mill Creek doesn't just do public domain. They've got a deal, or at least they had a deal, with Crown International. So they had a lot of their movies from the 60s and 70s in collections at one point. These are not public domain films. But a lot of their collections, the big collections, the 50 and the 100 packs, those are public domain films for the most part, and they're wonderful. And I've got almost every single one of them here. He mentioned that this is a good gateway into some of these other movies. Some of the Gamera films are public domain, or at least were at one point. I'm not sure what their status is now, but they do appear on the Mill Creek set. So if you got to get your kaiju fixed on the cheap, you've got your Gamera films. You want some Bella Lugosi, you want some Boris Karloff, you want some Lon Chaney Jr. or Sr., you want some John Carradine, you've got it in these sets and i highly recommend them and every time a new one comes out i always go through to see which titles i already have (laughs) and mill creek's website makes it pretty easy to do that you can actually type in the title of the movie it'll tell you which collections it's available on right now so i agree with you rich you're preaching to the choir man the mill creek doesn't just put out science fiction or horror collections they also put out dramas and actions and comedy collections and joe blevins is the guy behind the d2 rights blog over at d2rights.blogspot.com you can find the link to that in the show notes well last year and i think he's going to keep doing it this year until he gets through it he's been going through all of the comedies in the milk creek comedy collection 100 films 100 comedy classics is what it's called so he's been going through and reviewing each one of these movies one at a time So far, he's up to 74 reviews. Some of them sound surprisingly good, and I'm a little shocked that some of them have fallen into the public domain, considering who's involved. I would consider his reviews must-read, and he called in to tell me a little bit about something that I, well, I mean, he blew my mind. He brought up something that I had no idea about. So, take it away, Joe. Hey there, Derek. This is Joe from Chicago calling in because I hear you need some content for your next episode. Well, I'm here to talk to you about an issue that I think is important to all of us uh, monster kids, and it's, a, it's about sweatshirt monsters. Now, what are sweatshirt monsters? They're not monsters who wear sweatshirts because it's a little chilly outside. No, it's an episode of the television sitcom Leave It to Beaver, which aired from 1957 to 1963. Now, this one aired in 1962, so we're getting near the end of the run. You know, it's, uh, you know, Jerry Mathers is getting a little bit too old to be the Beaver, but they've still got the show. So, uh, 1962, Sweatshirt Monsters, Season 5. And this was back when they did 39 episodes a season. 39 episodes, so you have plenty of time to sort of jerk around, you know. So this episode is about how uh, Beaver Cleaver and all of his little friends, you know, Skippy and Juju and Chim Chim and all of them, they get uh, sweatshirts with these pictures of monsters on them, you know. Kind of a big daddy Ed Roth kind of artwork on them. Very, very cool looking sweatshirts. And uh, somehow in the in the kind of uptight world of Leave it to Beaver, this counts as like a huge infraction against society. Like the, his parents and authority figures around him, they're horrified. They're wearing sweatshirts with pictures of monsters on them. And you'd think that he was going around killing prostitutes and uh, shooting heroin directly into his eyes. You know, that's how they react to it. And the big uh, finale, sort of climax of the show, is that uh, Beaver Cleaver is uh, betrayed by his friends, much as, you know, Judas Iscariot betrayed our Lord and Savior. That's how they treat Beaver Cleaver, because they all say, oh, we're all going to wear our monster sweatshirts 
to school. And then, of course, only uh, dumbass Beaver Cleaver is, uh, you know, actually wears his uh, his sweatshirt to school. And uh, so that's how it uh, that's how it concludes. And he learns a lesson about not wearing sweatshirts. And so that's the that's the episode, Sweatshirt Monsters. I think all Monster Kid fans will uh, want to watch this episode. Now, if you want to uh, see it, just uh, just search for Sweatshirt Monsters, and I think the option comes up to uh, watch it uh, streaming online for I think a dollar ninety nine. Or if uh, you know a station in your area happens to be running, leave it to Beaver. Just set your DVR to record it forever, because eventually they'll get to season five. And they'll get to sweatshirt monsters. So that's my recommendation: sweatshirt monsters. And I'm out. Of all the things to ever talk about here on Monster Kid Radio, I would have never, ever thought that we would talk about Leave It to Beaver. All right. So I remember watching episodes of Leave It to Beaver when it played on Nick at Night many, many moons ago. It was something that I believe they would play it in the evening. Well, obviously, Nick at Night, they play it on the evening, but they'd also play it, I think, sometimes in the morning on some other stations. Anyway, my brother and I would watch it occasionally. But, yeah, I don't remember ever seeing the episode Sweatshirt Monsters. This was Season 5, Episode 35, came out June 2nd, 1962, directed by David Butler, who directed a lot of television in the 50s and 60s. I went and immediately checked out this episode. Now, it is available on Netflix streaming. You can also stream it directly from Amazon, although it'll cost you money on Amazon per episode. If you have Netflix streaming, you can just watch it that way. And, yeah, I mean, Joe's right. The sweatshirts that Beave and the gang all try to wear look like they could have been designed by Ed Big Daddy Roth. While I was looking it up online, I saw that this had been referenced in the movie Tales of the Rat Fink. So I went and looked that one up as well, which is also available to view for free online through Snag Films. You go over to snagfilms.com. You can watch it directly off their website. Snag Films also has a Roku channel, which is where I watched Tales of the Rat Fink. Heads up, if you do have the Roku and you are going to subscribe to the Snag Films channel, the channel's free, but there are over 700 documentaries, and Tales of the Rat Fink seems to be in the 600s when you're scrolling through. But just so you know, it's there. That's how I watched it. Interesting documentary. And really, the Leave it to Beaver episode is only mentioned once, and it's only through something that you see on screen. They never actually address it. I don't think that Ed Big Daddy Roth actually designed those sweatshirts, specifically because the sweatshirts in the Leave it to Beaver episode are viewed as something that's not good. They're hideous. They're gruesome. How dare Beaver wear something like that? I can't imagine Roth would have been on board with portraying his product, his artwork, in such a light. It's an interesting episode. I suppose if you look back and think about what was going on in the 60s and the counterculture movement and the stories and the messages that Leave it to Beaver were trying to put out there, it makes sense that those of us who would have worn the sweatshirt monster sweatshirt proudly probably would have been grounded for the weekend like Beaver was. Interesting episode, but mostly because I think those sweatshirts are just cool. I did further digging because I thought, If I could find a way 
to get an officially licensed sweatshirt monster sweatshirt from Leaving to Beaver, I'd, I'd wear that in a minute. Well, I don't think you're going to find that. However, the website Wacky Tacky, which you can find at thewackytacky.blogspot.com, last year in September, Mr. Tiny, the guy who runs the site, talked about the episode, went through and did do his own versions of the Sweatshirt Monster sweatshirts. They're not exact, but they're pretty darn close and they're pretty darn cool. It doesn't look like he's made those available to anybody. He just kind of did them for himself, but he does talk about the processes that he went through to try to recreate them on his own, and it's just really neat. Again, there will be a link in the show notes to that website. Joe, thank you for bringing up Sweatshirt Monsters. How awesome is that? And again, who would have thought I would have talked about Leave it to Beaver on Monster Kid Radio? Now, Joe called in another voicemail about something else that I'm going to sit on until... Uh, probably within the next couple of weeks, I'll play that when it becomes a little bit more relevant. He's also the guy that I want to have on the show in the future to talk about, Ed Wood. Starting in July of 2013, he was doing a series called Ed Wood Wednesdays, where he would go through and research Ed Wood, his filmography, what got him started. And it didn't just stick to the monster stuff. It didn't just stick to Plan 9 and Bride of the Monster and things like that. In fact, it went into the late 70s as well. So it's an interesting read. Again, highly recommended link to that in the show notes as well. Of course, you can just find it over at d, the number two, rights.blogspot.com to find it for yourself. I'd like to wrap up this episode with another piece of feedback. This came in by email. It came from Kurt, and he emailed us at monsterkidradio at gmail.com. Greetings, Derek. Just wanted to let you know that I enjoy your Monster Kid Radio podcast. Very fun and informative. Well, thanks, Kurt. I've been catching up on the episodes and just finished listening to The Skull. In the podcast, you mentioned that you would like to listen to the music, but doubted that it would ever be available on a commercial recording. Well, the good news is, is that Elizabeth Lutyen's music for The Skull is available on CD. It's featured on a CD titled Love from a Stranger for British Film Scores. I first learned about Elizabeth Lutyen's while skimming through The Rough Guide to Classical Music. The article on her mentioned that she wrote scores for Hammer and Amicus films. This fact was so surprising that I immediately did more research on her. Evidently, she was immersed in composing serial music throughout her career. Very abstract stuff. In fact, so off-putting was Lutyen's music that she was nicknamed Twelve Horn Lizzie. But while her concert music was rather alienating to general audiences, it worked well for the films she scored. Listen to her opening music for Dr. Terror's House of Horrors with the solo clarinet. Very creepy. As you might guess, Elizabeth Lutyens composed film music to pay the bills. Take a look at her IMDb listing. She has 31 film credits, many of them genre entries like Paranoiac, The Earth Dies Screaming, Blood Fiend, etc. Anyway, keep up the fantastic work. By the way, I also enjoy your 1951 Downplace podcasts and your guest appearances on the B-Movie cast. All the best, Kurt. Kurt, thank you for writing in, man. I really appreciate hearing from you. And the Skull music, man, it is such good stuff. Now, you emailed me about this, and then also over on Facebook, listener Mike posted a link to that Amazon listing for that album, Love from a Stranger, for British Film Scores. Now, I'm still in that post-holiday wallet recovery season, so I'm not buying a lot of things for myself right now, but I did immediately put this CD album on my Amazon wish list because, man, that would be great to listen to this stuff. It's such a great film score, good and creepy. Dr. Terra's House of Horrors, 
I think is my favorite Amicus Portmanteau film. I know Larry Underwood and I have talked about talking about that movie on the show in the future. And when that happens, when I watch it again specifically for the show, I'll pay very special attention to that opening music to get that very creepy moment that you talked about with the bass clarinet. And I don't think I said anything when we talked about The Skull, but yeah, she did do the music for Paranoiac, which was a movie that Scott Morris, Casey Criswell, and I covered on my Hammer Films podcast, 1951 Down Place, which gives me an opportunity to say that the new episode of 1951 Down Place is scheduled to come out at the end of the week, and we're going to be talking about the movie The Gorgon. So I hope if you are interested in Hammer Films, you join me over there at 1951downplace.com. Of course, when you're done listening to Monster Kid Radio, which is right about now because we are at the end of the episode. And big thanks to all the former guests and the one future potential guest who contributed to this episode of Monster Kid Radio. I couldn't have done it without you. And big thanks to you guys and gals out there listening to the show. I know my voice is not 100%. As soon as I'm done recording here, I'm going to go lay down and try to sleep some more of this cold away. And hopefully in a couple of days when the next episode comes out, I'm feeling and sounding a lot better. Let's talk about what's going to happen in a couple of days. Last year... There was a Monster Kid Radio crash event back at the Hollywood Theater. Now, this was at the very beginning of Monster Kid Radio's existence. We didn't really have an audience. We didn't really have a thing. So only one other guy showed up. Well, that other guy was Chris McMillan from the Shadow Over Portland and former guest here on Monster Kid Radio. The movie was King Kong. Of course, I brought my recorder along, and I recorded our thoughts about the movie before and after, and I'm going to be sharing that with you guys and gals on Thursday's episode. Plus, who knows? If something else comes up, I'll throw that in the mix. And keeping the King Kong train going, well, you're going to have to come back next week, because if all goes well, we've got some good shows coming up over the next couple of weeks. So keep your fingers and tentacles crossed and all that, and I will talk to you next time. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that does not apply to the song Mermaiden. That belongs to the Mighty Surf Lords. It appears on their album and the tide rushes in and appears on this episode with their permission. Talk to you next time.